wedding, Jim. But not as we know it. How dare you? Zero. Eight. It is 18 minutes to 3pm on Wednesday the 20th of September 2023 and you are listening to The Bashcast. Coming up. In this afternoon's Bashcast, Tom gets in trouble with an exotic bird over the summer holidays, the Rugby World Cup modelling points with a negative binomial probability distribution, Fijian value and the ex-player tries model, Waffle from Stoffel, a bellend copies our horse racing tracker, so we explain why it doesn't have much chance, and Aaron Rodgers' Achilles heel seems to be voided prop bets. All of that and more coming up in the Bashcast this afternoon. And we are back. We're back. It is definitely autumn now, although was it ever summer? I'm not entirely sure it was. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I said something along the lines of I've been six for six um, camping trips in the UK. What is the probability of that? And what are the odds that that continues? Wish I'd never said anything to tell you the truth. I mean, what happened there? The break was good. I'm reset. I am reset. I'm reset to the point that I'm actually a little bit lazy and we're like in the second or third week of September and I feel like I haven't really started again for a new season but um, um, that's probably sort of aligned with how much I switched off in the summer. I didn't fully stick to all of my goals to 100%. I didn't delete Twitter. I now have and the Russell Brand thing is the thing that's made me delete Twitter and BBC News from my phone, at least. If I'm desperate to see what's going on in either of them, I now have to sit at the computer. That's um, good for me, I think. I just... There was a time in the middle of the summer, I think I went 14 days without hearing or reading or looking at a news article. I was just in the tens. We were surfing, we were swimming, we were crabbing, we were fishing, we were cooking barbecues, and I didn't know what was going on in the world, and I liked it. Um, I'm possibly becoming a little bit more cynical the older that I am, that I'm probably one of what idiots would call a conspiracy theorist now, that I think that they're trying to distract us with unimportant stuff so that we don't focus on the important stuff. And I think there are agendas out there. And um, I don't like to even recognize it and so i'd rather not i'd rather live a life not looking at it to tell you the truth so um um yeah the twitter's gone from 
my phone. The BBC News has gone from my phone. I did manage to reset, and I do feel a little lot better. Um, drank too much and ate all the time without a lot of fasting. And um, we get to the beginning of September, and I'm sort of on top of that now a little bit. But I think the, the thing about the summer was that I was walking at least five miles a day every day, hiking, going around sort of cliff faces and swimming and paddleboarding and surfing. And so um, it's okay that I wasn't eating great because I was moving around a lot. Now I'm sat at, in my office as the kids are in school, the rain's lashing down um, and I'm not getting my steps up. And so um, somebody um, posted on the Discord forum that they were looking forward to the Bashcast coming back. And the next comment was, yeah, can't wait to hear what Tom had for dinner last night. That is definitely news podcast worthy information. And so here it is in fine detail for dinner last night. I had nada, dirt nada. I had nothing for breakfast. I had nothing for lunch. I had nothing for dinner. I did a full Days fast from beginning to end. The only thing I have is uh, coffee to curb the hunger and sparkling water with, I get a fresh lime and I cut it in half and, and then I squeeze the lime using a Mexican elbow and I put that into the sparkling water with salt and that helps both hunger and also when you're denying your body of salt through a fast, that can lead to going a little bit crazy. And I find that that just helps me um, indefinitely. The salt water with lime or lemon juice. I don't know if there's any, I don't think there's any calories in a little squirt of lime. Maybe there is. Who cares if there is? Does it matter? It doesn't. And so I did the full day's fast all of yesterday. Um, and today I'm going to be doing a second full day fast. So we're going to be going Monday night through to Thursday afternoon is my plan this week for the calorie control. I've only got about three quarters of a stone to lose. And given that I could probably just quit drinking entirely um, and lose that because of the lack of alcohol. But where's the fun in that? You can't just quit drinking on a weekend. What are you going to do? I have some friends. Um, excuse me, I have to cough one second. Yeah, I edited out the cough. You don't want to hear that in the um, in your headphones. I have some friends who um, quit drinking because they have two autistic children. And um, I think um, the stress of dealing with the children um, meant that it was just easier if they weren't drinking and if they weren't having hangovers and stuff like that. I could 100% understand what they did. But then um, the mum, who is a GP, or was a GP, she's gone from being a GP into cosmetic surgery, um, then went from um, not drinking to then focusing on her diet and also mega lots of like... Um, um, lifting weights and stuff like that and um, has now just got into bodybuilding at the age of 45 came third in our competition and it's all about putting on a little bit of muscle and taking off all of the fat and it's just appetite suppressant and discipline in, in terms of that it's a really impressive trick not something i could do because i value having a glass of wine on a friday night or six a little bit too much um more so than looking good but um yeah good for her anyway um Someone got off to an absolute corker with all of the rain. We did four music festivals. Three of them were very rainy. The first one was a complete washout. Pick up the kids from school on the Friday, go down to the music festival, um, and within an hour, 
my little boy Ewan, four years old, um, comes out of our friend's tent, sits down on an embankment, puts his foot into a hole in the embankment. Because if there's a hole in an embankment and you're four years old, what else are you going to do? And inside the hole was a wasp's nest. And he was wearing this dragon onesie outfit and all of the wasps came out of the wasp's nest and into his dragon onesie outfit and he started slapping them and as he slapped every single one they stung him. He got stung 14 times and I had to pick him up and I'm trying to like not freak out and he's thrashing around in pain. Of course he's in pain. How much pain would that be? And I'm trying to unzip the onesie outfit and I suffer from anaphylactic allergic reactions to wasp stings i carry around with me an EpiPen to get stabbed with by my wife in the leg if i ever am suspected of getting stung by a wasp because if i am stung by a wasp the last time it happened uh, my lips go blue my airwaves swell up my eyes all swell up um uh, and then i start stopping breathing and i have to go into hospital for a period of time I think last time was two days um and so I'm kind of a little bit wary of wasps, but I'm sort of okay with them because I've learned over time that if you don't go for them, they don't go for you. So if a wasp lands on you, as long as you don't try and like go for it, you'll be fine. Um, in fact, the kind of the worst thing you can do for a sting is try and hit it with your hand. Well, of course, Ewan is hitting them because they're inside his onesie. Um, and yeah, 14 stings. And that was just how we started the summer. That was like night one. Right. And then it was a complete washout from then. And then we went camping to a different place uh, down in South Wales and um, we're putting the tent up and it's just us. It's just the four of us, just the family. It's me and Jen and the two kids. And we're 250 miles from home. And Ewan says, can I just go up to the playground whilst you're putting the tent up? So he says, OK, 20 minutes and then make sure you're back. And so we put the tent up, and 20 minutes later, he's not there, so we go and get him, or send his sister to go and get him, and she comes back, and he's not there. Of course he's there. Where else could he be? Because this isn't like a campsite in a town or a village. It's a campsite in the middle of nowhere. It's the Hill End campsite in the Gower Peninsula, if anyone's been there. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nowhere to go other than being in the campsite, um, or on the beach, but it was sort of later in the evening, and he wouldn't have gone down to the beach by himself. He doesn't do these things. So we go and find him in the playground, but he's not there. And he's not in the field. And I'm like, is he wandering around trying to find the tent? But he can't find the tent. He's not in field two. And he's not in field three. And he's not in field one. And he's not in field two. And he's not in field three. And he's not in one. And he's not in two. And he's not in three. So that's them checked three times. And he's not in the playground. And he's not in the shop. And he's not in the toilets. So what the hell's going on? So at this point, we've got to get the staff. And we're put on golf buggies. Jen on one. Me on the other one. Sasha has to stay at the tent just in case he comes back. And we drive around. And he's not in field one. And he's not in field two. And he's not in field three. And I'm starting to lose my shit a little bit. Uh, I'm getting a lot of anxiety because it doesn't make sense. Because he has to be in the campsite, but he's not in the campsite. But he has to be in the campsite. But he's not in the campsite. But where else could he be? He has to be in the campsite. But we can't find him anywhere. And... As time was going on, I was rather unpleasant to the chap that was driving me around on the golf buggy. Despite being 250 miles from home, what had happened is that he only has 25 kids in his class in, in primary school. And one of those children 
not only was at the campsite, but was at the playground at the same time that he went up. And so he met her, he went back to her tent with her, player, and the mum and dad weren't there, player. Um, and so he just just happily playing in the tent with her. And of course it's the only solution. The only solution is that he's in a random tent, because we've searched everywhere else, and we didn't know that other people were going to be down at that campsite at that period of time. The mum came back, she realised there was a problem, she took him, she went walking with him. Jen found him, and now he's grounded until he's 21 years old. And that was it. Other than that, it was a lot of different campsites around Wales, just like last summer. we One tent got destroyed from the 65-mile-per-hour winds um, as a storm came in, and the eye of the storm was right over where we were in Pembrokeshire. Three families, all three tents destroyed. One of the tents came down at 5 o'clock in the morning, and they had to go home. Um, ours had a little rip in it, and I'm going to need some gaffer tape for that. And then it was quite a big rip and then the pole started buckling and then the entire roof came off the tent and then all the t- I mean by it was like there's no gaffer tape that's going to solve this problem so that went and we had to buy a new tent we got one of these thousand pound inflatable tents to replace that with we went on another camping trip and yet again um uh, there's another storm that's coming in and the eye of the storms now seem- has gone from south wales as it was before to north wales it's a different storm same winds this time we were like well we're not going to ruin the new tent so we took the tent down to check into a premier inn in port maddock that was roughing it for the nights did the typical dad thing where i had to take the tent down by myself um and i was in a bit of a rush to do it before the rain came and um, we had a bunch of um eggs but the packaging that the eggs was in like a dozen eggs had been rained on the night before so the packaging could no longer hold the eggs I should have just thrown the eggs in the bin. I have history for this. We went on holiday once. There was a load of eggs in the fridge. Instead of throwing them in the bin, I hard-boiled them and took them to the airport. Like, six eggs. Why did I do that? I then took them into, like, the weather spoons, and then I couldn't eat six hard-boiled eggs, so I then took an egg and I put it, like, down on the table, but I didn't want to leave it there for the people to find, because that's a bit weird to clean that up. And without thinking, I dropped it into the dregs of some beer and the smell of the reaction of the beer and the hard-boiled eggs started like the worst farts that were ever going around there. And it was one of those moments where my friends were looking at me going, you've turned really Alan Partridge middle-aged right now. Why didn't you just throw the eggs in the bin? Jen's long-suffering. And she's like, yeah, try being married to him. Well, I did the same thing. I couldn't throw these eggs away. So I gently placed the eggs into the tent pole bag and then gently placed the tent pole bag into the car. And then when we put the tent up again on the other side of the storm, I just picked them up and threw them onto the ground because I presumed that they were full of tent pegs. All the eggs smashed everywhere, and they're now this gloopy mess of smashed raw eggs inside the... I mean... Just try being married to me. So that was the summer the summer of eggs, Ewan getting stung and Ewan getting lost. But other than that, it was just, um, it was a lot of music festivals. Highlights of the music festivals, so Faithless with the Kids, Sasha's favourite songs, Insomnia, I love them, my seven-year-old girls picked Insomnia and Faithless over McFly. The lottery winners, if you've never checked them out, go and check them out, especially since they also did a cover of Nickelback's Rockstar. If ever there was a song that needed to be a sea shanty, it was Rockstar by Nickelback. It's a good song anyway in terms of pop music but it just 
Turning it into a sea shanty was what it was always destined to be, and it is perfect sea shanty rock star by the lottery winners. Absolutely perfect. So Aphex Twin and Left Field for a bit of dance music at a sort of grown-ups only festival towards the end of the summer. They were fantastic. Bit of self-esteem at the beginning of the summer. Uh, so loads of live music. It was all fantastic. I'm not going to bore you with all of the details. Um, next one up, I think, is going to be Jungle in Prague. No, not Prague. Hamburg over in Germany in November. So I'm ticking the live music off um, one by one um, this year. And it's been a good year for live music. Um, although at the end of one music festival, this was um, Camp Calling up near where I live in Worcestershire. It might be in Warwickshire, I'm not sure. Um, Ragley Hall. I uh, came back at the end of the night. I got told off like seven times by people at this festival. I don't know if it was the rain or if people just generally are in a stressed, telly-offy mood. But there was a lot of... Pe- there was too many chairs and people sat down, for my liking. Why take chairs and sit down at a music festival? People have started taking gazebos. And at one time, the rain came down, they started zipping up the sides of the gazebo. So if you're stuck behind them or to the side of them, you can't see the stage. I'm not a fan of the chair at a festival. I remember... My pal always used to do it at Glastonbury when we were in our 20s. And the one good thing about that is if he was at the front of the crowd, he'd still have his chair on his back and he'd just take the chair out and he'd sit down. You could spot where he was because there'd be a circle of people, like a gap, where he was sat down in his chair and everyone was just around them. But unless you're infirm, if you have very small children, I can understand it, um, or you're, you're relatively old, and by that I really mean over 65, Maybe a chair, but one or two chairs. What's the deal with everybody bringing a chair and sit down? Don't sit down at a music festival. You should be stood up and dancing, stood up and talking or walking around. Don't like it. And too many people telling people off. Somebody told us off for our festival trolley because they couldn't see. They were sat down behind the trolley and the kids were in it. Well, I was like, well, don't sit down. Just don't sit down. Somebody told me off because um, I walked up to the front of the cubicles. They thought I was barging in but I was actually just checking on my daughter who'd been in there for a long time somebody told me off for standing too close to them in a queue which was a weird one because we were queuing and I felt like I was the same distance from her as she was from the people in front of her but the one that got me was uh, we got back from the tents at one uh, to the tents at like one o'clock in the morning and so yeah it's late but you're at a music festival and there was a bird going ah and my friend John said, that's a psychotic bird. And I said, do you know who else was a psychotic bird? Derek Bird, who was the man responsible for the Cumbria massacre in 2007, where he shot and killed nine people and injured another 25 indiscriminately, despite the fact he didn't have any history of mental illness and everyone said he was a nice, normal guy. He went from normal guy to indiscriminate serial killer in the space of a day. Absolutely psychotic bird, that one. We moved on from that to a conversation about betting and then Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton. And then five minutes later, a zip comes down a tent and a woman gets out. She's about 35 years old, marches towards us and in the most passive-aggressive, sweet, but voice that was sort of betraying the words that were coming out of her mouth and the content, she went, chaps, just to let you know, um, you were sat there having a conversation about something absolutely inappropriate and disgusting in the middle of this field when my children are right there, young children, and they're trying to sleep. And um, I cannot believe what it is that you were talking about, but it was completely unacceptable. And I looked at her and I couldn't believe she was having a go at me, uh, specifically because I'd been in the circus tent 
a few hours before this. And I was pulled up to the front for part of a story. I had to be Mad Carew. And in this story, Mad Carew gets stabbed in the heart and dies. And I had to pretend to die in front of all of these children, including my own. Um, uh, and yet this lady couldn't accept us at one o'clock in the morning, two grown men in our 40s, talking about psychotic Derek Bird. And so she was like, I don't know what, it, what exactly the content that you think you were talking about. I just looked and pointed and went, Derek Bird. And my friend noticed that I was up for a bit of a fight, which wasn't going to be fun at one o'clock in the morning. So he just turned around and apologized and said we would keep the noise down. No, honestly, just made it, it made it uncomfortable to talk about serial killers at that moment in time. Um, so um, I don't know if it's the weather or if people are stressed, but there was lots of tellings offs going on from people to other people at that music festival. I just ask everyone to chill out a little bit. Chill out, enjoy the music, and get a little bit more engaged in the world of serial killers. The Rugby World Cup is on, and I've been trying trying my hand at um, modelling rugby games. Um, different scoring system, obviously, to football, so you don't have the um, discrete scoring. You don't have... Zero, one, two, three, four, where you can maybe assume that each goal is independent of each other ones. So a sort of Poisson distribution might work in football, whereas it doesn't in um, games like NFL and Rugby Union and Rugby League, where you can get zero, three, five, five and a conversion um, kind of points. So the model I've gone for is a negative binomial model, um, which is a little bit better suited for over-dispersed count data, like Rugby Union. Um, you can do this in Excel if you're that interested with equals one minus neg binom dot disk brackets, and then you go for the number of points you're looking for, so say over 20 points in a game or over zero points in a game or whatever, comma, and then VAR divided by bracket Lambo, which is the mean that you come up with for the number of points that they have, minus one, bracket, comma, true. And then you can get the probability of a team scoring over zero points, 1.2 points, up to 99 points, or maybe 199 if you want to go down that far in Excel. Do that for both teams. And then you've got your match winner that comes out at the end of that and the draw odds as well. So then the difficulty becomes, how do you predict the expected number of points in a match for a particular team against another team. So that's just all historical data. Looking through the historical data, a couple of things jumped out at me that I thought were interesting. One was how poor Australia's form has been. Check out Australia, right? This is from um, uh, September 2022, so nearly a year ago. Lost to South Africa, lost to New Zealand, lost to New Zealand again. They beat Scotland by one single point, 16-15 in October. They lost to France. They lost to Italy, 28-27. They lost to Ireland. They beat Wales just by five points, though. They were quite behind in the first half and then um, came back in the second half due to a number of yellows for Wales. Beat them 39-34. But then they lost to Argentina they lost again to New Zealand. They lost again to New Zealand. God, they hate playing New Zealand. If they play New Zealand, there's just no chance against them recently. 
they lost to France, um, that was, and they, they lost heavily to France in their last international before the World Cup, 41-17. They got absolutely trounced. Um, and then that brought them into the World Cup. Terrible form. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 losses and 2 wins. Not great. And then check Fiji out. Now, they had um, some friendly internationals. They did lose against um, Scotland and Ireland. But, I mean, you would expect them to, especially travelling halfway around the world over here. But, okay, yeah, they've got those two losses. Then they went on a bit of a winning run. They beat the French Barbarians healthily, 46-14. Pacific Nations Cup topped that with three wins out of three. They scored 104 points and let in 51. 15 points out of 15. That's win, win, win against Japan, Samoa and Tonga. And then they played a couple of um, friendlies leading up to the World Cup. Um, they lost to France, but then they beat England. And they beat them again, 30-22. So when I was doing these averages and then trying to come up with some expected points using this and then the win odds using this negative binomial model, the two that stood out to me were Australia don't look like that good. And I was looking at the winner market and they looked overpriced in the winner market. Um, they really did. Um, New Zealand, this is, I mean, we're obviously through week two just now, but the favourites were New Zealand, France, South Africa, Ireland, and then Australia is 11 to 1. And I'm just like, really, with that form, fifth favourites, 11 to 1? Just didn't look likely to me. They're now 42 to 1. 43 to 1, 44 to 1. Last price match, 40. Um, and that's because in their group, in Group C, they did what you would think that they would do. Um, and they won their first match against Georgia, 35-15. And then they lost to Fiji. And so that group is an interesting group, Group C, because that group is um, Wales, Fiji, Australia, Georgia, and Portugal. Pick two to go out of there. Well, Wales are... Odds on favourites, but now Fiji are nine to four to get out of that group, and Australia are eleven to two with Georgia and Portugal the no hopers. Um, Australia were favourites for that group at the beginning, one to two, and they might not even get through. Um, so my models didn't line up with that just on form. I mean, obviously I might be missing something. It's so difficult, like trying to pitch Newcastle against Milan. And the relative strength in theirs, when all you can go off is, you know, Milan losing 5-1 in their, to Inter on the weekend, but Newcastle only snuck past Brentford 1-0. So I always find it interesting pitching these teams that play in different competitions against each other. And obviously, w w how much relevance has the French Barbarians got um, when you're looking at Fiji in the World Cup? But I just liked them at 7-1, to one, and I didn't like Australia at 1-2 to two to get through Pool C. And I liked Fiji at 100 to 1, and I didn't like Australia at 11 to 1 to win the World Cup outright, although I'm not laying um, 11 to 1. I was laying Australia pull C at 1 to 2, though. Um, and the one I liked the most, um, which is the one that I went big on, was um, Wales to get to the final of the World Cup. Not Wales, Fiji to get to the final of the World Cup at. Um, Sorry, I'm to dig out the 
bet slip here at 40 to 1. Took him at Betfred. Um, and by the way, leading up to the World Cup, you, you couldn't get more than 40 to 1 on the exchanges. So it seemed reasonable. There was just no liquidity on the exchanges to get anything decent done. And um, yeah, they came into 10 to 1, sort of hovering between 10 and 20 just now. But I like them to get through the group. What happens if they get through the group? I mean, it's it's really is a, now a coin flip between Wales and... Um, so Wales are going to go through. So it's a coin flip between Australia and Fiji. But I I like Fiji now to get through. It's not a coin flip in terms of probability. I mean, it's just either of those two teams are going to get through. If they get through... Um, as runners-up, which is what I kind of guessed they thought. I thought they were going to be runners-up um, either to Australia or Wales and not win it. So let's just assume that they're not going to win it just now because Wales are two for two. Um, uh, they will play the winner from Pool D. And Pool D is Argentina, England, Samoa, Japan or Chile. So it's probably England at this moment in time. So it's England, Fiji in the quarterfinals. That's not going to be impossible for... Um, Fiji to get through, especially the way that England played against Argentina in the first ga game where couldn't score a try. Not exactly impressive. Um, then they're in the semis and then it's problematic because now they've got the um, likely winner of Group A, um, France or New Zealand. Um, but at least they get to avoid South Africa through that route. Um, who are the favourites just now. So, I don't know. I just like the 40-1. to 1. I still like Fiji. Um, that's the team that jumped out for me. So, I've been going game by game, um, having a little bit of fun. We released the um, player tries and the match tries models at the beginning of the summer. Wasn't a lot going on in, in the world of rugby, but it really was to iron out some bugs. Gosh, there's some synonyms to match. Because in these models, we need to like follow the markets, but have you ever tried matching up the spelling of all of the Tongan and Fijian and Samoan players between the different bookmakers? If you ever want to spend an interesting afternoon, try and do that. That is some fun synonym matching, I'll tell you that. Lots of, lots of um, hyphens and inverted commas and all kind of things. First match um, was New Zealand versus... France, uh, I just took a loss on that. I had Julian Marchand. So with just to explain how this works, um, we come up with the expected tries for the player based on market conditions. We're using information both from the exchange, if we can, although the player tries market on the exchange is always very liquid. Most um, frequently in the match odds and the handicaps, definitely than first try scorer and then any time try scorer. And if we can't find anything there, we'll look at the uh, bookmaker prices, discounting any outlier prices uh, and anything like that. So, yeah, I had um, um, Marchand in the first game, France versus New Zealand. Nothing really went on in that game for me. 27-13, um, uh, France ran out. Marchand actually went off in the 13th minute, um, which I had him any time scorer, not first try scorer, but... That was quickly over and out in that game. So I started off with a little bit of a loss. My handicap lost on that. I had a half-time winner draw in that match as well at 10.0. They were evenly matched in um, those two teams. They were flip-em. Um, probably a little bit loosey-goosey in terms of the points expectation on that. Uh, SBC pushed our um, half-time, full-time and um, half-time draw 
blog quite well recently. There's been a little bit of interest in that. Um, the only game I've gone for in the World Cup so far was the first one, um, France-New Zealand, and it wasn't it, um, it wasn't a draw at half-time. It was 16-10, so it wasn't even close, or 14-10. Uh, England-Argentina, again, was a losing one for me. I had Gonzalo Bertriano at 36 for first try scorer. So for first try scorer, what we're doing is um, we're taking the expected tries for the player. We're dividing it by the expected tries in the match. Um, I could really factor in um, no tries in the match, but that's often like 100 to 1 in a lot of games. And then that nearly came back to bite me when England-Argentina, I think there was like... Um, a tr- the first try of the match was like the 78th minute or something like that. So that nearly did come to prove to me that I did need to factor that in. But there you go. So that was um, two losing games in a row as well. And then Scotland, South Africa. Um, uh, I had Scotland just marginally better than their odds of um, uh, 7.6 to win that match, but never really looked close. Then came into the Wales-Fiji game, which was an interesting one for me. I had um, Wasey Nea Clevu. I'm not going to pretend I know how to pronounce that properly. Um, down at 18.2 fair odds. Um, 23 was going on the exchange. So took that chap. Um, Wales scored first. And then he went over in the 14th minute. So he was the second try scorer. He was the first try scorer for... Fiji doesn't mean it was a good bet, doesn't mean it was a bad bet. I think the exchanges were overpriced on him based on his anytime um, try scorer odds um, and his expected odds across all, all different markets. So I thought he was a good bet. He didn't come in. Um, France Uruguay was a good game on the handicaps for me, though. I had France at plus 47.5. Um, I've opened up all of these different games. I can't find exactly which one is, is which. That one's France-Uruguay, isn't it? France 27, Uruguay 12. And I had um, Uruguay plus 47.5, plus 41.5, plus 45.5 at various different odds. So they only lost by 15. Um, France were particularly poor. They're not looking good. I mean, France and New Zealand started off as the two favourites in this World Cup, and now they've both been overtaken by South Africa because they're not looking great. And again... The, one, the game I probably enjoyed the most so far in this World Cup was New Zealand versus Namibia. Not because it's going to be in any way competitive, but I always find fascinating these huge handicaps. So I had um, Namibia plus 69.5. They only scored three points. So I need to make sure that New Zealand don't get 73 points or more. And New Zealand got 71 points in that game. They won by 68 points. So I had Namibia 69.5. So I just won that. But for the love of God, any penalty. I mean, they were going over for easy tries at the end of the game. Try, 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 try towards the end of it. So just like hold on for the love of God, Namibia. (laughs) And they did. So I was particularly pleased with that. It was just a fun game to watch. I enjoyed that. Um, Then Wales-Portugal. Wales did not look great against Portugal in any way whatsoever, but I made Louis Rees Zamet first try scorer 7.3 in that. You get 8.2 in the exchange. It's not a huge bet, but he did go over in the 10th minute. So I got my first try scorer um, in that match uh, at 8.2 for Louis Rees Zamet. In the Ireland Tonga match, I went some big odds. I had Halla Lever Fafita for Tonga and Gary Ringrose for Ireland in that match. 
and um, Ireland went over first. Actually, is it Take Burn? I was looking at him. I was trying to get a price on him, but there just wasn't enough liquidity in the exchange and he didn't go. But then my man, my Tongan, went off second. So in three matches, I've had second try scorer, first try scorer, second try scorer. He was 85 on the exchanges. I didn't write down what I thought his fair odds were. But that would have been a nice one. I'm not going to lie. We move on to then South Africa versus Romania. And I get yet another first try scorer. I got Kobus Reinach at 10.5. I made him 8.83. So he was pretty decent EV, Kobus. And I also had the South Africans at minus 67.5. So I'm not going to go through. I, I've sort of skipped over a lot of my losses, especially in the handicaps. For some reason, a lot of my handicaps won at the beginning and then lost at the, uh, to, uh, recently. But that's by the by. Um, small sample size. Um, you know, so, uh, losing bets. I was on Australia a little bit against Fiji, even though um, I didn't make them quite the 5.5 handicap that they were. Um, using market conditions... But when I was expected to, when I was doing my own expectancies, I was doing a little bit, I had the match narrowly in terms of the Fijians. I should have stuck to my gut. Fijians did win that, 22-15. I was kind of maybe hedging my bets a little bit with the um, outright bets in Fiji. I'm like, okay, well, if Australia win this and Fiji go out, at least I'll have a little bit of money on it. Um, I, I wish I hadn't done it and I'd stuck to my guns on that one anyway. And, um, yeah, a few losing bets on England versus Japan. But overall doing okay. Just a, li a little bit up. Uh, very up on the first try scorer. And had a couple of second try scorers. And it's uh, I prefer it to the anytime as well. And the handicaps are fun enough. But I prefer the massive handicaps over the small handicaps. So they, they might peter out come the end of the um, group stages. But, yeah, let's go, my Fijian brothers. Hopefully, if they, if they do get into the quarters. I am not an anti-English Scotsman, because I am three-quarters Scottish and one-quarter English through my grandparents. But um, if Scotland aren't playing England, I generally support England. If it's England-Fiji, though, I was stuck on Fiji um, on September the 11th, 2001. I was going around the world. I was flying from Fiji to Hawaii. They closed American airspace, and we had to turn around mid-flight, and I was stuck on the island of Fiji for a week. I mean, it's not exactly like being stuck on Digbeth Coach Station, don't get your violins out. But I've got a, um, a firm place for Fiji. I got ripped off buying a stupid um, set of like cannibalism tools from a market that were touting for tourists. I paid way too much for them. And I got them back to the hostel that I was in. And I showed the girl um, at the hostel. And she marched me back to the town, which was like a 20-minute drive away, found the market staller and demanded like 90% of my money back because she'd seen that I'd been scammed. And for that reason alone, I I quite like the Fijians. Even though I got scammed, the girl looked after me. So yeah, come on, Fiji. Let's go, my Fijian brothers. One time, can we get to the final? Let's talk about bellends, shall we? So, um... A little bit of history around something that is probably the most profitable thing that we have done historically, at Bookie Bashing, the horse racing tracker. Uh, what angle did we at sort of attack horse racing back in the day, way before the tracker even existed? Well, what we did is we figured out that we needed to know the fair odds in order to value bet. 
and the fair odds in each way betting can be a little bit complex, more complicated than just straight single wins because there's such a variety of place terms and number of places paid. So we broke the problem down into if we've got a horse or a golfer or whatever, what's the exact probability of this horse finishing second? Exactly second and exactly third and exactly fourth and exactly nth in a horse race with M number of horses in it. So every position we wanted to know the exact probability of finishing in that position because then the, it simplifies the problem if we've got... Um, certain terms and certain number of places played, we can just add up those probabilities to come up with our implied fair odds. It was an easy way of breaking the problem down, right? And then we were doing this when we had Excel spreadsheets back at the beginning. And then we got our sort of live tracker where we're scraping the odds of every horse at every race at every bookmaker, which is a challenging project and then you bring that all together and it's got this value betting horse racing tracker that is particularly profitable uh, the most profitable thing at bookie bashing simply because of the volume of races that occur every single day so that's the background of the horse racing tracker back to bell ends um, my son came home with a little card the other day um, about breaking things um and this card from school, my son's five, that's who it's targeted to. Breaking things is when an object is broken so that it cannot be repaired or cannot be fixed. Things can get broken accidentally or on purpose. Breaking things accidentally means the object was broken because of bad luck. Breaking things on purpose means someone wanted to break the object. Breaking things on purpose is not a nice thing to do. You may feel sad. When things get broken, adults may get upset or angry or cross with you. They may give you a consequence that you do not like. Breaking things belonging to others is a very bad thing to do. Breaking things on purpose is not okay. If you do break things on purpose, it is important to feel sorry about it. Sam Stoffel is a grade A Bell end. Now, I spent the summer trying to be a little bit more compassionate, uh, understanding about people, not so judgmental. But the guy is an exception to my rule. Uh, if you have a look at his Twitter profile, it says at um, Sam underscore Stoffel. His blurb is he's a young problem solver. I like to challenge what others think is possible. Shouldn't that be impossible? Why would he challenge what other people think is possible? I think it's possible to make toast in the morning. Do you want to challenge that, Stoffs? Because I can make toast in the... What, what does that mean? I think he's got it wrong. I think that should be impossible. But okay. Grammatical mistake. We all make them. Entrepreneur. Gamer. Thrill seeker. Disruptor. Thrill seeker. Thrill seeker. Because he knows exactly how to lay off bets for zero risk. That's pretty thrilling, isn't it? So a little bit of history that at least I'm aware of on Sam Stoffel. According to his um, LinkedIn, Sam Stoffel studied at the University of Leeds. He did a Bachelor of Arts in Cinema and Photography. That's uh, Cinema and Photography. 
Okay, each to their own. He graduated in 2012, started in 2009. So if he was 18 when he started, that puts him at about 1991. I never trust anyone born in the 90s. So what is he, 32-ish now? Something like that. Um, on the 17th of October 2013, when he would have been 22, so 10 years ago pretty much now, um, he posted on... Mike Krushank's Profit Maximizer site, which was another match betting site, um, one of the early ones. Um, he posted, I've been a member of Profit Maximizer for 45 days now and have made a profit of £997. What a fantastic community we have here. Thank you, Mike Krushank, for making it happen. This, was, this has given me the extra funds to focus on doing what I want to do with my own time. What is it that he wanted to do? with his own time. Apparently he's a helicopter pilot and um, he studies cinema and photography. Um, helicopter pilot. Would you get in a helicopter with him? I wouldn't get in a helicopter with him. But then I wouldn't get in a helicopter with a lot of people. So that, that doesn't say a lot. Um, he was asked what his background was um, and he said, um, I began match betting in university. I couldn't believe more people weren't doing it. I realized that if you could simplify the process and educate people about it, it would be very appealing. That's how Profit Accumulator was born. The company was founded in 2014. So that post that I just gave you was from August 2013. And apparently he understood this thing that was very complicated and he wanted to educate people about it. Well, actually, Mike Krushank wanted to educate people about it. What he did is he stole the content... He stole the layout. He even stole the name, Profit Accumulator, Profit Maximizer. I mean, it, 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 at least Dick Turpin wore a mask. Um, very blatantly just stole the entire thing. What did he do differently? Well, what he did differently was aggressive affiliate marketing. And if you want to give him credit for anything, that's the one thing that he was successful in. They marketed themselves cheaper they ran video tutorials to simplify it so that as if they were talking to completely inexperienced betters and then they went after forums such as mumsnet and they told all of those mums um you can make money working from home you could even make this a career if you wanted to i mean this is something that I took exception of when I saw it. Um, and you kind of think it's the um, lack of life experience of somebody who went from an undergraduate in cinema and photography straight into forming a company with aggressive affiliate marketing, getting lucky being in the right place in the right time, but also not understanding the economical environment that he was sitting within because um if you go out there and tell everyone that they can make enough money to have a career in match betting and simplify the process you have to understand what's going to happen to the environment that you're in back in the day you were looking at 100 200 pound refunds you could go on to netbet live chat and just ask them for a 200 pound um, bonus and uh, like reload bonus and because you asked they would just give it to you um, and then over time so many people got involved as a direct result of Profit Maximizer 
um, sorry, profit accumulator um, growing to tens of thousands of subscribers that they self-imploded. They damaged their own market. They would have done a lot better to position themselves at a lot higher barrier for entry, not marketing on Mumsnet, um, having fewer people paying more for a subscription and therefore taking less out of the industry. Perhaps it wouldn't have collapsed as massively as it did around about 2017, 2018, something like that. But he was inexperienced. Um, this entrepreneur and thrill seeker didn't understand sort of macroeconomics, and so he killed it. I've got no sympathy for that or for anyone involved with that, other than a very small number of people made a very large amount of money, and the one person that made the most was Stoffel. So if you like, a lot of other people could have made a small amount of money, but they didn't because Stoffel got richer and the serial multi-accounters at the top of the pyramid um, made a shitload of money. But yeah, I mean, they were posting that... Um, what This is from Profit Accumulator. Hi, everyone. I'm a full-timer now. I lost my job due to a back problem. I have a back problem just now, by the way. Um, but... Am I going to go and find a new job that revolves around laying off bets now due to my back? No, I'm just going to go and get a massage. Um, and decided to take match betting as my main income. I've just been doing it for five months now, and I absolutely love it. So he's five months in, and now he's just decided this is going to be a career. Um, I know some of you probably think I've made the leap a bit early, Um but I'm very confident in succeedings. Here are my nine main points for being a professional match better as a career. I mean, this is crazy that people even talk like this. This is the, uh, just before I get into his nine main points. This is the inexperience of youth and the lie that was sold by somebody like Sam Stoffel at Profit Accumulator. A bookie bashing. We've got a significant amount of people that made a significant amount of money including people that have paid off mortgages or bought houses with very large wins that they've had. I still absolutely stipulate that it's very important that this is not seen as anything other than fun money. Uh, someone actually got into contact with us recently. They sent an email before signing up saying, I don't have a job, but I do have a thousand pounds that I can use as a betting bank. Is this enough for bookie bashing? Red flags everywhere there. And I emailed back saying, I don't want you to sign up. I do not want you to sign up. I mean, I could have said, yeah, 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 absolutely fine. Please sign up and taking the guy's money for a few months. I would have had a little bit of subscription to help pay with the ongoing cost of bookie bashing. But this guy's not right. Absolutely not right. And I told him that he isn't right. Red flags everywhere. I want you to have a job. This is not money that should be used for MOTs and food shopping or anything like that. Don't sign up if you don't consider this money fun money. Now, I know value betting is different to risk-free arbitrage and match betting and stuff like that. But still... You know, I'm a professional chartered civil engineer. Uh, I'm a consultant the, to the government, or at least I have been um, a decade ago. Um, I have a relative amount of work and life career experience behind me. Duncan's a chartered accountant. Lee is proficient in 7,000 million different IT languages. Um, there are things outside of the gambling domain that we have specialized in before focusing efforts on this and whilst this has been my primary focus of attention for the last decade i've got alternatives and backup options and everyone always should have 
But this person touting this as a career, here's a nine points. One, I, I have a good knowledge and I'm very comfortable with Channel 4 racing and the ability to use if spreadsheets to lock in profit. Number two, um, I was lucky enough to start match betting with a bank of £2,000. It means I don't have to wait for withdrawals. Number three, I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't making enough. Number four, I love being self-employed. And by losing, losing my job, um, number five, I try my best. In the workplace, if anyone ever puts down one of their positives or one of the reasons they're a good employee is they try their best. That's trying your best isn't good enough. I'd rather you didn't try your best, but you were very capable. I'd rather have a quality capable person that tried 50% than have someone that was incapable trying 100%. Number six, I'm very prepared and willing. Um, I plan my days around match betting and I take Mondays off to spend with my partner and my daughter. Number seven, um, at the moment working from home, it's not all lonely and boring for me because I have a 17-month-old running around. Well, that's a great tip for being a career match better. Number eight, have a plan for the future. This is actually quite a good one. Everyone should have a plan for the future. What does he want to do? I would like to be a profit accumulator affiliate in the future. Oh, great life plans here. I mean, this guy's got a 17-month-old baby. He really needs some life advice and a slap around the face. And number nine, I'm not as experienced as you guys, but my knowledge keeps growing. What does that even mean? What, that you lived another day? Anyway, PA pushed this out to people. Oh, so... Um, they're outplayed now. They did change the name from PAR. I reckon Stoffel spent a lot of time sort of concerned about how blatantly he ripped off Profit Maximizer and Mike Krushank. So they changed the name to Outplayed. Still pushing that they could do it as a career. Um, the um, ASA have wrapped them over the knuckles a couple of times um, because when they pushed these adverts out, um, they would very blatantly say things like, you can do this as a career, um, there was um, two separate messages in 2020, a paid Facebook post um, when they were doing casino free spins, including um, a testimonial from a customer that said, this is my 45th day in isolation. The money is so welcome as I haven't earned anything in six weeks. It's almost statistically certain that you will make a profit if you do enough offers. The second message um, was on Profit Accumulator's bonus accumulator website, um, which featured the text, unlock the profits of casino offers, learn how some members make thousands of pounds a month. Um, casino bonuses are not gambling because just like match betting, we give you an edge. They are gambling. Even even if even if the edge is in your favor, they are gambling. Um, and it's not like match betting because it's not risk-free. Um, even though the ASA said that you couldn't even claim that match betting was risk-free. Um so they upheld the complainants on these two um, things. The, the, oh, the other one, the, there was a second complaint in the same year. Uh, absolutely amazing win from one of our members 12 minutes ago. Hashtag make money, hashtag making money, hashtag income, hashtag make money from home, hashtag extra income, hashtag students, hashtag S-A-H-M, which is stay at home mum, and hashtag extra money. And the, the final post I'm going to talk about is someone um, in uh, April 2019 said in one month I have gone from a person struggling to stay afloat who's worrying about their MOT bills etc to completely flipping 
my financial position around. Um, could not have got into this position without match betting and without the guidance of Profit Accumulator. Hashtag SAHM. Hashtag working from home. You're not working and they're targeting stay-at-home mothers. Again, the ASA, the Advertising Standards Agency, upheld these. But by upholding them, all they said is, and I quote, the ads must not appear again in their current form. We told Profit Accumulator not to suggest or imply that match betting could be a solution to financial concerns, an alternative to employment or a way to achieve financial security. Damn straight they shouldn't. But that is just a wrap on the knuckles. What what are they going to do? It's regrettable that the Advertising Standard Agency has no sort of additional powers enabling more robust regulatory action to be taken against repeat offenders such as Profit Accumulator. But because they're not, you know, a gambling operator licensed by the Gambling Commission, the Commission has no regulatory control over it. So all they do is push these adverts out that are completely irresponsible and then they can just get told not to do them again. Finally, if you still want to consider um, listening to Stoffs, um, I think he moved on from uh, his portfolio of just starting up a um, how to lay bets website um, to the more entrepreneurial side of things where he's going to sort of be a life coach and teach people how to how to make money. And he he emails out to his... Um, to his email list. Hi, Stephen. And the subject of this email is, what if I gave you a million dollars? Between now, meaning the day that you are reading this email, and 365 days from now, I'm going to earn more than $1 million in income. I started my first company in 2014. It was a match betting company that took advantage of a little-known betting technique to teach you how to make a profit from betting in a completely legal way. The company has now more than 20,000 paying subscribers, and I've taken in more than $15 million in subscription fees since the service began. But I digress. What if I was willing to take one year of my income and simply hand it over to you? What would you do then? I can tell you what most people would do. Most of them would start spending like crazy, buying all sorts of stuff that they don't need. You've probably heard this statistic. Allegedly, 70% of lottery winners end up eventually going broke and filing for bankruptcy. Look up narcissism in the dictionary and you will find this guy. God, he thinks he's special. I mean, I, he, he succeeded in aggressive affiliate marketing and lying to people and stealing most of the content from Mike Krushank. I, I don't even mind that he's done it. I just wish he'd be a little bit more honest about it and stop posting pictures of himself with um next to a Ferrari or with um your man from Virgin. What's his name? Um, who's your guy from Virgin? I've just lost his name. I can picture him. His little grey beard in my head. Richard Branson. Um, you know he's posting pictures that he's friends with Richard Branson because he went to Necker Island. Look, if anyone's got forty thousand pounds burning in their pocket, you can buy a holiday on Necker Island. So he. He wants to come across as the serial entrepreneur, thrill-seeker, disruptor. He got lucky and he was in the right place in the right time and he stole stuff. And ironically about stealing stuff, they had this um, ongoing spat with the other big match-betting community, Odds Monkey, where they were accusing Odds Monkey of plagiarism because um, Profit Accumulator would put, you know, an offer up such as bet £5, get £5 at Betfred, which anyone could have seen with their own eyes. There's no intellectual property or something like that. It would shortly afterwards appear on Odds Monkey. Profit Accumulator thought they were just copying their content, so they hid a little Profit Accumulator um, watermark in the shorts, 
And when it was posted on OddsMonkey, it proved that OddsMonkey was stealing content from Profit Accumulator, which stole content from Profit Maximizer anyway. So what are you talking about? You have no moral high ground. People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Fast forward to today. And they're releasing new horse racing software. Software. They say for years the gold standard for extra place offers has been to use implied odds as an indication of value. So the match betters like to take the horse racing. They'll back a horse each way, um, perhaps for five places, and they'll lay it off for four places. And then if it finishes in fifth place, they might be able to achieve some profit if they can lay it off risk-free. Obviously, it's a sort of shot to nothing of getting that fifth place. And if they can make a little bit of loss, that's when they have to understand if the loss is worth the amount of money they'll make of the horse finishing fifth. And this is the implied odds they talk about. If your implied odds are 20 of getting that um, extra place, then as long as you land the extra place at least once in every 20 attempts, you will at least break even. This is very true. The problem is this does not give any consideration into how likely it is that your horse will achieve that result. And of course, you don't know that just using the exchange. It doesn't tell you the exact odds of the horse finishing fifth, um, a heavy odds-on favourite or a distant outsider might only land in the extra place once in every 100 attempts or, or so. So it's clearly not value. So they've kind of now understood that you need to know the odds of exactly fifth. Um, how have they come to this realisation? Well, one of the guys that is relatively senior we have realized was a member of bookiebashing.net and was asking a lot of questions about our horse racing tracker and they found out that we were working out the exact odds of a horse finishing second third fourth fifth exactly fifth and so they fed this back to profit accumulator profit accumulator realized this and so they've released some um, new software that is able in their words to simulate the probability of a horse landing in that extra place. It does this using our propriety algorithm, which analyzes every participant in the race in intense detail and is able to very accurately predict how likely a horse is to land in that extra place. I love the arrogance of very accurately predict. If you have a look um, on bookie bashing, we have a lot of warnings and stipulations around the BB algo, which does exactly the same thing. It's what they've copied, essentially. Um, it estimates the probability of a horse finishing in an exact position. We have a lot of stipulations um, around when it is accurate, when it is inaccurate. It's accurate enough of the time that it's profitable in the long run. But there are certain things it cannot do. Um, it doesn't look at things like race composition. It doesn't look at um, things like um, the number of runners in the race that are a thousand to one which is going to affect the odds of a 10 to 1 horse it's very difficult to come up with um a precise probability and there are definitely certain 
limitations to this metric. And so we highlight everywhere that over time we have enough data to show that it's profitable, but do be careful, there will be the odd horse where it's overestimating or underestimating the probability. And yet, in, somehow in this new software, they're using a propriety algorithm um, which very accurately predicts with a high degree of accuracy. It, says, it literally says the result is we are now able to determine with a high degree of accuracy whether a bet is plus or minus EV. I mean, where's the data? We're, we're years in. And this is the difference between someone like Bucky Bashing, who've got experience in other industries, will put up potential limitations and warnings, and then these charlatans who just say everything that they do is great, and you can probably have a career out of it as well. Uh, the software will give you the probability of the horse finishing in that exact place, and it will give you the EV percentage given how much your backstake is. Um, I've got a screenshot of this horse racing tracker. It's in beta just now. It's only available to a limited number of members. And it's a carbon copy of the horse racing tracker at Bucky Bashing. It's just exactly, it's exactly the same. The, the only difference is that they have little tabs there that encourage you that if you want to lay a little bit of it you can part lay or full lay we don't touch that because you're just you're always losing value laying you're losing through inefficiency in the lay component of the bet if all you do is always lay and you never back then you're all you're, you are going to be losing um money given that the lay odds aren't going to be the fair odds so there should be a mixture of laying and backing in any sort of a portfolio in efficient markets, definitely inefficient, in inefficient markets. Um, so they're encouraging people to do that. Probably, I think they've had a discussion that it might be difficult to get members over the line um, transitioning from laying things because they have to reduce their liability and the risk a little bit into not laying. But other than that, every single filter, bookie, uh, EV range, uh, odds range, uh, time until race, change the change the race course, and um, it gives you the extra the EV expected value of every horse in every race. It's, it's exactly it. they've stolen the the idea, the execution, um, and look, we can, there's no such thing as intellectual property over an idea that we're going to estimate the place probability in a horse race. It's not something that we could have protected. Um, I think the tracker is very, very similar looking, into, even in terms of the ranking of the columns with the EV percentage and the horse name and the race name in exactly the same order as the bookie bashing. It's blatant that they ripped it. Here's what, um, here's what I hope. I hope that Stoffel isn't about to break something really big just like he broke concessions and free bets for the match betters years and years ago with no understanding of the macroeconomics of the bookmaking world he doesn't understand what we do understand and that is that there is a finite limit to the number of people who can have access to plus ev horses for value betting or even for laying um, uh, 
before you saturate the market and the bookmakers have to take action. That's why there's not 20,000 members at Bookie Bashing. Trust me, if we were £15 a month, we'd have 20,000 members just now. We ensure that the there is a cap on the number of people with access to book, to Bookie Bashing. We actively block bots, make it difficult for people to share information. We can't completely stop it, but we do everything that we can. And if numbers go up, you may see that the price of a Bookie Bashing subscription goes up as well because we want to slow down the number of people that has access to this very valuable information. We're aware of the macroeconomics and the saturation points. Stoffel isn't because he's a bellend, a selfish bellend at that. And I think he's seen that there's not enough money around in bet £2, get a £2 free bet, which is, was that what the Cheltenham offer this year? You know, when it used to be £100 for £100 or something like that? They ruined that, and so they need to move on to something else. They could ruin this. Between this and the Gambling Commission wanting to stop people from depositing, it certainly feels like an uphill battle. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. This has the potential to break things. And so what I would advise, if I was you, would be to get on board now, <laughs> just in case stops breaks it and has to move on to something else next year and copy something else from someone else. He'd be over at Winner Odds trying to work out how Miguel's artificial intelligence algorithms work to be tennis. And then that'll be the new thing at Profit Accumulator. And then they'll break that because the tennis markets can't t take that much saturation. And sooner or later, that little community will die. The sooner the better for everyone um, uh, because they're irresponsible. Um, or the alternative, which is what I hope, is that they built up this history of telling all of their members how much money can be made risk-free and we lower the risk and we don't gamble at um, Profit Accumulator, we lay bets, there's no risk, there's no risk, there's no risk. I think pushing a lot of people from mum's net to no risk works. I don't think it does going from mum's net to value betting with the amount of volatility, variance, concepts such as bankroll management. Um, uh, I don't think that works. You can't just turn um, um, Roger from the pub. I, I was going to say Tracy from Mums now, and then I felt like I was really sort of toying a sexist line there. So I'm going with Roger from the pub instead of Tracy from Mums now. You can't just take Roger from the pub, Joe Schmo and turn him into someone that expects to win long-term, but needs to control losing runs, variance, and bankroll management. It's so much easier to be a five-pound-a-week Acker mug than it is to be successful at gambling because of the variance. It kills a lot of professional gamblers, let alone non-professional gamblers. So my hope is that if he pushes this, no matter how hard he sells it, it might be difficult to get people to buy in because of those losing runs. Um, and then he fails at this little project. But it's an interesting one. And he breaks stuff. And he breaks stuff because Sam Stoffel is a bellend. Interesting enough start to the um, NFL season, especially in betting. And um, especially in the 
emergence of the new sports books over in America. Aaron Rodgers, who is the quarterback for the New York Jets, um, fairly prominent quarterback, he tore his Achilles and is out for the whole season in game one versus the Buffalo Bills. In fact, he had like four snaps, um, one sack, I think, and then that was it. He's done for the whole season. Tore his Achilles. Poor form for him. What was interesting enough after this, though, was how all of the mostly US-facing bookmakers dealt with it. I think the exception was Circa Sports, but um, how most people bet on quarterbacks, on players in the NFL, isn't the same as football. It's not any time goal scorer, first goal scorer. It's not any time touchdown scorer, first touchdown scorer. It's more player props. So um, player props are yardage based and they're under over. So you might say um, um, someone might receive an amount of yards or a quarterback might pass for amount of yards or there might be rushing yards and they might set the line at you know 225 or whatever and you can bet under and you can bet over and that line factors in a lot of different things into it and it includes factoring in injuries it's all part of the price so you might presume that he's going to um throw 246.5 yards but then if you factor in the possibility of an injury on top of that you reduce the line down to 225 etc etc um historically it's been hypothesized that recreational betters are overs betters they're overs betters in terms of um action um it's why in football bookmakers will clean up if a game is nil nil they love a nil nil and last night, Newcastle, nil-nil, they would have cleaned up. On the weekend, nil-nil and one-nil. I mean, cleaning up there. There's no team to win and both teams to score and win both halves and all of these different derivative markets, which are essentially action markets. The same with the combo bets and things like that. And it's the same, really, in NFL. Most people are betting over. You're not necessarily sharp if you're betting under. Um, if you can't explain why you're a sharp better then you're not a sharp better but saying i'm bet i bet unders isn't necessarily by itself a reason you need to know why the underline is a good line factoring in things like playing time which includes injuries so he got injured and almost all bookmakers decided that they were going to refund the bets on patrick rogers these are like goodwill refunds we've seen this a lot in the past especially with paddy power it's nothing but a marketing ploy because the um rules specifically state that all bets are live if the player plays any part of the game whatsoever um circa sports are one bookmaker that didn't refund and they got a lot of heat for it from betters expecting money from them somebody said um i've bet over a hundred thousand pounds cumulatively by the way that's what does that mean so what you bet like um ten thousand bets of a tenner each time that doesn't mean anything or one bet of a hundred thousand it still doesn't mean anything but um he wanted um um circa bets to refund him and they were like um like many f uh, futures pulls the stipulation for this market is all bets are action if he takes step onto the field and plays for one second 
the bets are live, the prop bets are live, and the unders will be paid out, and the overs will not be paid out. Um, and if anyone wants to refund losing bets on this, it's just a marketing ploy. It's the same as sort of you know Celtic winning the first game of the season and then Paddy Power saying we are now paying out on all bets for Celtic to win the title one they'll have done their analysis on how much money they're taking anti-post on Celtic to win the league two they'll look at then the odds of Celtic winning the league at the time which may or may not have changed probably hasn't changed after one game and they'll know their liability and then three they'll have done an in-house cost-benefit analysis of that liability versus how much marketing exposure they get as this kind of we're paying out early it's nothing but marketing exposure the problem is some marketing exposure is valuable and some is just creates quite a negative environment in the long run and what this does is it creates um, uh, expectancy within betters and it's not a good look to expect something especially when it was in the rules the gambling rules that you're abiding by that you should be on the side of a losing bet if you were on the overs in fact betfred um betfred usa so this is at betfred sports their usa facing um bookmaker said um a picture of Aaron Rodgers. We avoided all Aaron Rodgers prop bets with a emoji of a handshake. They like voided them, so that means that the overs are voided and the unders are voided. That if you were on the unders and then he plays four snaps and gets injured, then you should rightfully be paid out by this. And if it's voided, I would be absolutely furious. They had to clarify under this. They did actually say. Um, after it was queried, uh, all unders were paid out. But the initial tweet did look like they were just going to void all bets and give the unders betters their money back um, and the overs betters their money back as well. Um, it's this um, expectancy that is not a good look for anybody. You see it when um, Betfair goes down. Just go to the Betfair Help Twitter um, uh, page, which I go to just to sort of find out is there... 30 minutes left, an hour, are we back live, are we not back live? And you'll see under it, I can't believe you've gone down at this time. It's happened again. I'm moving to another exchange. They never do. Um, I hope you're going to be compensating us with free bets. I'm going to lose money from hedging. Oh, I definitely was going to be a winning bet, or I was going to cancel my position. Get over it. You accept the risk, uh, and you're owed nothing. And, you know, downtime does happen. Asking for compensation or a free bet is pretty cheesy. We had a first person recently. They'd um, it was quite a confusing exchange, but they said they'd um, they'd bet on like um, a hundred horses and not had a single penny back from any of them. Now I was trying to do the maths on this, but I do, I don't know at what odds range you need to be betting at horses for for zero out of one hundred to have paid you a penny because even at a hundred to one the place component would be twenty twenty five to one. Maybe the fair odds would be less than that, so fifteen twenty to one. How unlucky is it that a 15 to 1 shot comes in zero times out of 100? Relatively unlucky. In fact, it shouldn't happen. It didn't really make any sense. I suspected a bit of exaggeration on the part of the person that said they'd had nothing back. And I think what they meant is that they weren't winning. Well, of course, you, you might not win after 100 lucky 15s or 100 bets and horses. Um, another person not related. This is sort of an influx. Had a few new people recently. Bucky Bash with a very, very poor retention rate, over 60% cancelling within one month. But somebody, um, after a couple of weeks, said that they hadn't had a winner 
in either horses or golf. And I was like, two weeks on golf and you haven't had a winner? I, I, uh, I can't believe that your expectancy is any higher that you should have. I mean, I don't know what field coverage you're covering there, but still, two weeks is not a short period of time not to have had a winner on the golf. And um, I was asking for a refund um, for the rest of the month. And it's like, I can't start dishing out refunds because we don't ask for more money when people win in the same way that we don't give money back even for percentages of a month if people are losing. It's that certain amount of expectancy. And I think it's driven by stupid things like this, by bookmakers giving out goodwill refund payments. Actually, what you're doing is you're creating unrealistic expectations from your client bases. We're all gamblers, recreational or more professional. Just gambling has a set amount of rules. They differ between each market and each sport. Not everyone reads every rule, and occasionally I've actually had to dive into the rules after something's happened so that I can clarify for them for them myself. And guess what? If I happen to realize that the bookmaker was right, that I just didn't understand the rules, that's on me, not on them. But that world of expectation that gets driven by these refund payments only creates bad will in the long run, and they shouldn't do it. Beware where you're going with this. US sportsbook marketing teams whatever it is you're betting on this weekend hope you make it value uh this is tom signing out